Folks, um, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the reason for all that we do, was crucified and buried, and his followers um, essentially persuaded themselves that's the end of the story. When he died, hope died for them. Uh, The hope of a Messiah and some kind of liberation and a new kingdom, uh, it was over. And they were quite depressed, I think, and discouraged, not to mention fearful. So they huddled together in a room. We think it was the famous upper room. And there they shut the door behind them, but they didn't actually shut it. They locked it for fear of what might befall them at the hand of the Jewish religious leaders. After all, they saw the fate of their leader, and now they wondered, are we next? So there they were, huddling together, quite fearful, and suddenly and surprisingly, miraculously, right before their eyes, uh, the Lord Jesus, who had been crucified, now risen Savior, appears before them. And there he is, not just standing before them, he's even speaking. And he said these words to them. He said, Shalom Aleichem. Well, they heard this before. It's a common Jewish greeting. It means peace be unto you. But now it meant more than ever before because they didn't have peace. They had fear and panic. And now the risen Savior is coming to them with words not of condemnation or rebuke, which maybe they expected. No, he came offering words of peace. And they were exhilarated and they rejoiced. And at a certain point, Uh, it seems as if the Lord essentially said, now calm down. And he did this because he had something important to say to them. And this is what he told them. He said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. What a great commission. The Lord Jesus was essentially saying to them, soon I'll depart from you. I'll ascend back to the Father. Therefore, you will be my body, the body of Christ. You'll be my voice. And because of you, people will hear the gospel message which I have entrusted to you. They realized that was their purpose in life. We spoke last week about how it's our purpose in being here as well. In case you wonder, oh God, what do you have for me? Why am I still here? It's for this purpose. We are sent ones, no less than they were in the first century. Our task and our privilege is to go about to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ and to so live that they're more prone to be attracted to the Savior who has changed our particular life. I offered a challenge last week, and I accepted it personally. That is to ask God to give you, me, eyes to see one person this week, this past week, with whom we can share the gospel, talk to you about the Lord Jesus. And I told you I would set aside time tonight to give you a chance to share what your experience might have been. I'm going to do so as well. But I want to, I'll step down where it's maybe a little more convenient for you. And if there's anyone who in this last week had the wonderful opportunity of speaking to someone about the Lord Jesus who has changed our lives. Would you come join me here and just share with the group what your encounter was like? Don't be worried. It's just, it's just us. Come on up, folks. Come on up, all, all that want to. This is wonderful, Stephen. Tell us what happened. Uh, I was at home last Saturday. The weather was phenomenal. So I was in the garage, middle of the day, and my garage is detached from the house. And uh, two gentlemen, two, came up to the fence and 
hey, got my attention, and they wanted to talk to me about my cable TV experience, which I don't have. I cut the cord about seven and a half years ago. So after a brief conversation, they realized that I was not going to buy, and they started to leave Tony and Zach. That was their names. I said, wait a minute, before you go, can I tell you about the best thing that ever happened to me? And they stopped dead in their tracks. And I said, it's when I realized God was willing to forgive all my sins by me simply trusting in his son, Jesus, who died on a cross in my place for my sins. And Tony goes, wow. He stopped right there. So we had a real good in-depth conversation about the Lord. I was able to open the scriptures and share the gospel of Jesus and Tony and Zach, pray for them. They're very, they're very uh, open. They didn't make a commitment, but they are searching. They wanted to know. Thank you, brother. Thank you. God bless you. If you would like access to those, some 40 words we just heard, I've printed it out on a sheet. Be glad to give it to you. It takes 45 seconds to share. What a conversation starter. Thank you, brother, for sharing with us, and we shall pray for Tony and Zach. Stefan, yes. what happened with you? Well, one of the uh, privileges that I have uh, in working with this church and Helping Hands Ministry, that we pick up donations from people who have something they want to give, and then when someone calls up, we're able then to bring it to them. I'll just hold this. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. But anyhow, uh, in taking this to different people that have needs, uh, it always opens up opportunities to, to share the gospel. And, and there was this one lady who was a caregiver for this other lady that we delivered some furniture to and I got to start sharing with her about what Christ had done in my life and uh and I asked her if she had done something like this and she told me she was Catholic and I said I'm not talking about a religion I'm talking about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and and got to share with her what God had done for me in my life and so it was a good opportunity and then just the other day uh when I uh was with a the, the men there, we had another opportunity. We were delivering some furniture. James, very nice young man, got to share the Lord with him. And he was very much just happy to receive. That's one of the things I like about it. It's a lot of times when you knock on a door, you know, sometimes they close it in your face. Sometimes, you know, you might have something there. But when you're giving something to someone, they always feel kind of obligated to listen. So <laughs> I always like to take that opportunity to uh, make the best of it. God bless you, brother. Thank you so much for sharing. This is wonderful. Russell, Russell, tell us about your experience. Well, I was, uh, first of all, I retired <laughs> almost three years ago. Police officer. I still do service work for hair salons. My wife and I do. And well, this particular, well, last Wednesday, I was at, at a salon and I was finishing up my work and a new, new uh, hairstylist come out that I haven't met before. And we got to talking, and I told him I had retired from my other job almost three years ago. and said, it's really nice to be retired. I said, my wife and I play golf a lot, several times a week, and I, I get to play tennis a lot. And we just went on about how nice it is to be retired. But finally, I said, but let me tell you the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, and I shared those 40 words. And then I asked him, do you know what happens to you when you die? And he said, no. I said, well, I do. And I shared with him, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Well, Jesus told us what he was going to do. Oh, let me back up. First of all, I asked him, 
he was talking about other religions, you know, and I said, well, what did Buddha do to validate us worshiping him? What did Muhammad do to validate worshiping for him? And then I told him what Jesus did, and he's the only one that told us what he was going to do and came back to life. And he was witnessed after the resurrection by more than 500 people at one time. Well, that got his attention. And uh, I had to go after that. I didn't get to share a whole lot more with him because he was busy. But I think it opened his heart and his mind. And, but that morning, I prayed that God would give me the opportunity to, to see the opportunity. And he did. So, Thank you, Russell. God bless you, brother. Very helpful. This is Sam. Excuse me, Sam. Sorry, you can, there you go. You come you over go. here. <laughs> Tell us what happened with you, Sam. There we go. This is better. So uh, I work uh, in a, for a trading company, and uh, I've worked there for nine years. And the managing vice president of our company, who's my boss's boss and the big wig in the office, I've worked for him for nine years, and multiple times I've had an opportunity to share the gospel with him. And he came into my office this week, just kind of talking shop, and he was telling me about it at an event he went to with, uh, with the, one of his friend's kids who was terrible and just this kid was ripping and tearing through this party and causing all these problems. And I said, well, he said, you know, this kid just was terrible. And I said, well, why do you think kids are terrible? And he said, well, I don't know. I guess he just was a bad kid. I said, well, there's no bad kids. There's only bad parents. And, and which is true, they, all the kids come broken. You never had to, I said to him, you never had to teach your kid how to lie, cheat, or steal. They come that way. And, I, and, and he was like, well, that's a sad way to look at the world. I said, it's true. And he said, it is true. I never had to teach my kid to lie. And I said, uh, I said well, there's, there's good news. There's hope. I mean, all men are broken. If the rule of law was lifted in this moment, this whole room, people would, this whole office, people would be ripping the TVs off the walls and taking the computers out. Oh, sorry. And, and, and he was like, you're right, they would be. And I said, there's good news. Uh, Jesus came to save us from our own brokenness. And, and all the other times that I've shared the gospel with him, whenever I bring up, and he knows I go to seminary, he knows all these things. Every time I bring up the gospel with him, he gets a little jittery and, yeah, okay, and then the conversation ends very quickly. This time he goes, you know, you're right. I think I, I need to go home and talk to my wife about that. I said, great. Let's have the conversation tomorrow. And so uh, I tried to follow up with him, but I, I couldn't. But it's, a long, it's been a long process of sharing with him over and over and over again. I think he's, he's starting to sink in. So, God bless you, Sam. You know, uh, Sam's a great evangelist, and he specifically uses this Uber thing so that he can have the opportunity of sharing Christ with the, with the driver. That's what he does all the time. Patty? You are proving that even women share with people. You're, you're our lone, brave woman. Tell us what happened with you. Well, it's not uh, specifically this week. It's just what I do kind of on an ongoing basis. And I talked with you earlier and said, I, and I was really convicted in the lesson last week and also in a Bible study, another Bible study I'm in, both stressing the command to us to share the gospel. Um, so I opened the door and I realized I'm convicted I need to go further through the door, but what I do um, is I just have a habit of when I go out to eat, which is not that often, but when I go out to eat, um, I always ask the wait person, um, I tell them, we're going to be saying a prayer over our meal, Um, and I did this last weekend, I was in New Orleans, 
with a friend who came from uh, North Carolina to be with me. Uh, and I was there, and she had never been to New Orleans, and so I wanted to take her out to eat and uh, experience New Orleans a little bit. And uh, I, I <laughs> she has this, she has this uh, conviction, she and her family, they will not eat in a restaurant that serves alcohol. So in New Orleans, that was a challenge. And we asked, we asked the bicycle cab, cab driver on a bicycle uh, who had lived there all his life if he knew of any restaurant in New Orleans that did not serve alcohol. And he, he thought a minute and he said, there's one. And he biked us to this restaurant. It was closed on Mondays. We were there on Monday. It was closed. So I said, well, you can't leave New Orleans without beignets. So we went to a beignet cafe, ordered beignets from this young, happy, joyful young man. Uh, and so I told him, you know, we're going to just pray over these beignets. Uh, and is there anything we can pray for you about? And he paused and he said, there are so many things. And he said, I want to get in on this. And he, and he sat down, pulled up a chair and sat down between us and just unloaded the, the burdens he was carrying. Uh, I asked him if he was a believer, and he said, yes, I'm a Christian. Um, I, I should have pressed him a little bit on that, but I just took him at his word. And we were able to pray with him over all the burdens he was carrying. It's just, it's such a blessing to be able to plow into others that way. But um, I do that sometimes, folks will say, no, I'm fine. Or, yeah, you know, I'm having an exam on Thursday. You can pray for that. Something, you know, just sort of nonchalant. But other times, I've had people just start crying. Um, it's just amazing the impact of asking somebody if you can pray, if there's anything you can pray for them about. God bless you, Patty. Thank you for sharing. Wonderful, wonderful to hear. This is wonderful Stanley, who has a heart for lost people. Tell us about your experience. Well, first off, I want to thank you for the challenge to go out and share the gospel. It's a fresh reminder. You know, I travel on many mission trips, and, you know, it's easy to get home and get complacent and just go about daily life and forget the real purpose why we're here. And so after you um, challenged us to go and share the gospel, I began to pray, and I said, Lord, would you make a way. And, and so my stories aren't in, you know, nothing grand happened other than an opportunity to share on three different occasions. But um, somebody gave me a new phone and it, I was having problems with it. So, um, well, I had just gotten it. I need to get a case for it. And so I went in Baybrook Mall and I was shopping around and I, I didn't know what I wanted. And I stopped at this kiosk and the, the guy goes, um, I said, how much? And he says, $50, but I'll sell it to you for 45 And I said, well, being on mission trips, I said, you sell it to me for 40 and I'll buy it. And so I bought it, <clears throat> only to find out I could have bought it for $15 off Amazon. But, but anyways, um, I, knew to, I noticed that the guy was, um, he looked kind of Indian or something, so I asked him where he was from. And he says, well, I'm from Hyderabad, India. And I'm like, oh, well, I go to India every year. So, and I was like, I just went, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And he says, well, I'm not a religious person. I said, well, I'm not either. I said, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I was like, have you ever considered him? And he's like, well, no. And I said, let me tell you something. I said, I said, you got a Bible, right? And he says, well, no. I said, well, then pull out your phone. And I said, I want you to go through the book of John. And I want you to find out who Jesus is. Because he's the one that's made the difference. And I said, will you do that? 
And he said, yes. And I said, great. Well, uh, anyways, so then I go to the Apple store because I'm having problems with my phone. And this little bubbly little lady, you know, and I was interacting with her. And I said, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And she says, yes, I do. And I'm like, great. So we talked about the Lord a little bit. And then I had to go back to the mall because I was having issues again and still do. And so I was like, I walked around trying to find Sam, the guy who sold me the case, because I wanted to do a follow-up. I walked around, and I'm like, oh, Lord, I guess it's not here. He's not here. And so I walked back, and I saw him. I'm like, oh, there he is. And so a customer had just left, and I said, I said, hey, Sam, I said, did you read the gospel? And he says, no. And I said, why not? I said, Jesus will change your life. He says, well, I have to respect my parents. And I said, I said buddy, I said, you can make a decision for yourself. You know, and I said, you really need to consider him. And I left it at that. You know, it was just an opportunity to plant a seed and to drop it. And so then I was in my house and I had a bunch of foreign currency from trips that I'd been on and I didn't get it changed back and I found a money changing place at the mall. And I'm like, great. So I took all my, you know, denominations and I said, can you change this? And he says, great. And I said, and so I was like, so, you know, just finding that way to, to slip the gospel. And I said, you know, I got all this money from mission trips that I've been on. He's like, oh, okay. And I said, uh, I said, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And he goes, well, you know, I'm not really sold out. And I said, and as soon as I said, man, why not? I said, he'll change your life. And he just goes, shut down, mm-hmm. you know. And I said, okay, Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, so those were three encounters that I had, and it was... You know, I wish I could say people got saved, but isn't it about just planting the seed and letting God take care of the work? You know, and I think that's what we're responsible for. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Hi, Noe. Good to see you, brother. Good to be here. Tell us about your experience. Okay. Um, Y'all remember Sophia, my daughter? Okay. We're still going through the custody battle, and... I had been warned, told, and screamed at by the judge that I was going to end up in jail. And I knew time would come and it was going to happen, and it did. Uh, It was a Friday, uh, two two weeks ago, and I was there for eight days. And, you know, I'll make it real short, but... uh, when they finally got me up to the cell block, I call my daughter Becky, and I'm like, hey, call our friend. Uh, you know, it's kind of like being in a hotel where you're in a bad place, and you want to get to the front desk and tell them, no, I need a nicer room with nicer people. Well, it doesn't work that way there. The first guy that approached me, I sat at the table with him, even before I got a, a, a cot or whatever they call it there. And I said, do you know Jesus? And wow, it came like, oh, you know what? Let me tell you, my mom has cancer. My wife is dying. And oh, I've, I've made some bad choices in my life. I shared Christ with him and he gave his life to the Lord. But I got to tell you guys, you know what? I prayed really hard before I went to jail. And I said, Lord, you know what? Let this be your will and let me have every opportunity to share you with someone. Just open that door. The second young man that I shared Christ with was my problem child. He accepted the Lord. And I say that with a grain of salt because 
I would be sitting ministering at a table with someone and he'd come running and grab me by the arm. Mr. Santana, you got to come right now. There's another, someone else that I've shared Jesus with that wants to give his life, but you need to come and pray for him with me. Over, over, and over. I almost couldn't keep up with this guy because he was sharing Christ. Mm -hmm. And the appalling thing that hit me about jail that I learned, it takes two weeks to get a Bible in there, and I couldn't keep the one that I brought with me. Mm -hmm. And... There was a, a young man that was sleeping on his Gideon's Bible, and he said, you know what? You need this more than I do. So I had a Bible. I read through almost all the New Testament, Psalms, and Job. It's amazing what you, can't, what you can do when all you have is time, and you dedicate yourself. And there was a, a, a young man who I wanted to pray with, and he t I shared Christ with him. In fact, I, aired the, I told him the prodigal son story. And when I got ready to pray with him, he says, oh, I don't think I can pray with you. I was raised a Methodist. And I wanted to tell him, it's okay, God's a Baptist, but you know, we're gonna get this done. And I prayed with that young man, and with tears in his eyes, and God opened that door, he tells me, I'm estranged from my dad. My dad's a Baptist preacher, and I won't say the church because we all know where it is. And he tells me, I want a relationship with my dad. Will you please talk to my dad when I get out and tell him I've received the Lord and I want to make things right between us? God is amazing. He doesn't put you somewhere that he doesn't want you and that he's going to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And he tells me, Mr. Santana, can I please have a Bible? I want to read. Well, my Bible was my life vest and the Titanic had already hit the iceberg. I needed that Bible, but you know what? That young man needed it more. Mm -hmm. And I marked off John, I marked off Psalms and uh, Job. And I told him, when you have a question you don't understand, come to me and we're going to, every morning, the group would get together, we would read the Bible, minister a little bit, and pray together. And you know, you have blocks in the cells that have uh, this race, that race, and the other race. When we were together, we were brothers in Christ. And so there I was without a Bible, getting ready to go to sleep. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, they wake you up if you're diabetic to stick you out in the hallway and tell you how bad your health is. Now, a man was walking by with a cart. When you leave from the Harris County Jail to go to prison, the only thing you take is the clothes on your back. You can't take anything at all. And as this guy is going by, lo and behold, he had four Bibles in the cart. I gave everything that was important to me for God, for Christ. And God said, you know what? Trust me and I'm going to take care of you. Three of the Bibles were spoken for before the sun came up. And I had the Bible that, that I wanted and needed so badly. And uh, the last one that I'll share with you. Becky and I uh, read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I was in my heart, you know what, Lord? I will go through this. 
there will be no looking back. And this will be for your glory, not for mine. And I trust you. And there was a guy they called the gatekeeper. He was like six foot five and something. And this guy could eat people for breakfast if he wanted to. And he walked over to me and he goes, you know how God's Holy Spirit uh, impregnated Mary and Christ was born? And he tells me, do you think God had other children in this world? And I knew where he was going. And I said, there's no other name by which you can be saved. And I shared John 3.16 with him. And I said, Jesus is the only salvation you have in this world. And he reaches down and pulls his name tag that we're, you know, sporting, everybody sports it. And his name was Shadrach. Oh, man. And I said, I got somebody you got to meet. And that young man accepted Christ. Everyone that I talked to, bar none, told me one of two things. It was either drugs or alcohol that destroyed their lives, their family, and had them in getting ready to go to prison or doing the time that they were doing where we were at. Can't stress enough to the young people in our lives how badly it really is. And there were uh, six cell blocks with 10 men in each one, so it was 60 of us. There were at least 15 men, I want to tell you almost 20, that accepted the Lord out of 60. And I told Pastor Morgan, if every Sunday a third of everyone that came into this building accepted Christ. We couldn't build enough churches to keep everybody in. It is so important to take that opportunity and share Jesus with someone. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Thank you, Noah. God bless you. God bless you. John? I was not going to come tonight because I didn't take your challenge until 4.15 this afternoon. <laughs> And I was in Baytown, and uh, I just finally said, do you know what the best things ever happened to me? She said, what? I, I told her about Jesus dying on the cross for me. Your challenge was wonderful. She said, I know. I know him. I said, wonderful. Good. I'm going to make this very short. I cannot believe there's only 10 people in this audience that spoke about Jesus to somebody last week. There's got to be more people in this audience to come up here and say something. The Astros are not playing tonight. So let's do it. Thank you, John. Hello. How are you, dear sister? Tell us your story. Okay, so um, I actually always... I, okay. So anyway, I always have, like, tracks or... Um, but one of the things that I really want to give out is the CD. It's called an invitation CD, and it's a dollar, only a dollar. And I usually put like stickers that talks about me and um, the church, our church. And this is a, a city about the sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. It has sermons and um, worship music about it. So anyway, yesterday I was at the um, ER actually. So I get to give this out to my doctor. 
and three other nurses. And I always tell them, the CD talks about the greatest uh, news you'll ever hear. It's about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And some of them, they're so, so in a hurry, but two of them, they're very happy to receive it, and they hug me. So anyway. God bless you. What a wonderful approach. <laughs> Folks, these are a sampling of people who have taken the Lord's Great Commission seriously, and you get blessed in so doing. He said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And look at how these diverse people used diverse methods in order to share the message that has given them hope and ushered them into eternal life through a personal relationship with the Lord. Please take advantage of your opportunities this week to uh, get in the battle and tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of news out there, most of it not so good. We've been entrusted with the good news. Well, uh, we've been reading in John's Gospel, and I want to share with you just for a few minutes a text tonight that uh, continues uh, what I introduced to you about these disciples afraid and huddled up together and um, I think you'll be interested in this text. It's in John chapter 20, verse 24. We'll begin just a few verses. Thank you all for taking the challenge. I did as well, and I'll tell you about it some other time. Um, for most of us, I don't think it's fear of sharing the gospel. I think it's just the distractions of busyness of life that causes us not to see the opportunities before us. So thank you all for sharing and alerting us to the opportunities out there for, uh, before us. So John chapter 20, verse 24, but Thomas, ah, one of the 12 called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came. Quite interesting. Thomas is one of the 12, the original disciples, but the text says he was not with the others as they were huddled up together in the upper room when the Lord first appeared when he rose from death, Thomas was not there, which begs the question, why not? Of course, we can only speculate. Let me offer this, see if it fits, and if you don't like it, leave it behind. I wonder if Thomas was depressed and discouraged. I mean, he had hope of a messianic kind of a kingdom. He envisioned Jesus the Messiah to be who he said he was, and now he's dead. And for Thomas, that was the last word. My Savior is gone. I wonder if he was discouraged. And therefore, when you're depressed, sometimes the last thing you want to do is hang out with other people. It's one of the signs of depression. We isolate, you see. So I wonder if that was Thomas's experience. Whatever it was, he missed the meeting. And in missing the meeting, he missed out on a blessing. He missed seeing the risen Savior. Which led me to this application, if you will permit me. Sometimes when you're most emotionally raw and distraught, when your emotions are at their worst, that's the best time to go to church. I'm just wondering, when we feel like we should isolate, I wonder if we need to associate with like-minded believers because you never know when Jesus is going to bestow upon you in a congregation of believers a special blessing that you, like Thomas, me, could miss out on. Come to church, even when you're feeling at your worst. Give Jesus, the great physician and divine counselor, 
to bless you with a surprising blessing that you did not anticipate. He does this largely in a congregation of believers. So Thomas missed out. I think Thomas was a little bit of a pessimist, very introspective, kind of a reflective personality. And all those things makes one a little more prone to depression and isolation. You know, you think too much. That's what happens. In John chapter 11, for instance, we're told the Lord proposed uh, to go to Bethany, Bethany, there to minister to Lazarus. Thomas made this statement to the Lord's disciples, his fellow followers of the Lord. In John 11, verse 16, Thomas said, let us go also so that we may die with him. He was brave, he was courageous, but he thought the worst. <laughs> We're going to die. Let's go. So I just wonder, though he was devoted, I think, to the Lord, with it was a little bit of pessimism. And as a pessimistic, kind of maybe overly thinking, reflective, and introspective person, I wonder if he had a proneness to depression and thus wanted to be alone in his grief over the Lord's demise. And so he stayed away from other like-minded believers when he needed their fellowship most. Come to church. You don't have to be at the top of your game. You don't have to put on a happy face. Come when there's a cause for rejoicing. Come when there's a cause for sorrow. Give your fellow believers a chance to minister to you. Give the divine counselor an opportunity to minister to you in a hug, in a song, in the word which comes from God. Whatever it is, give him a chance to reach deeply into your heart when you least expect it. Thomas, as a result of his uh, insistence on, for himself, examining the literal effects of crucifixion on the Lord, uh, Thomas rejected the witness of his uh, fellow uh, disciples. And so it says in verse 25, the other disciples were saying to him, in the Greek text, the verb form means they were repeatedly saying to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said, yeah. Yeah, but unless I see his hands and the imprint of the nails, unless I put my finger in the place of the nails, unless I put my hand in his, I'm not going to believe. So Thomas had no doubt that Jesus died, but he had a doubt that Jesus was still alive, and the doubts persisted, even in the face of persistent witnessing by these other disciples. And as a result, to this day, Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. It seems like a derogatory term, but I'm not sure it's such a bad thing to be like Thomas. Really, Thomas was simply reluctant to embrace something as being true unless he had concrete, factual corroboration of it. He was an empiricist. Show me. I'm not sure that's a bad way to be. In fact, I think it's better to be like Thomas than to be gullible. I think a gullible Christian is much more in danger and much more vulnerable to being led astray than a doubting Christian, to be honest with you. Christians are so prone to new theologies, new kicks, new crazy books, new secrets, new mysteries, new Bible codes. I don't know. I think I would value Thomas's uh, restraint in embracing truth claims unless, unless they were corroborated. And so he refused to believe the other disciples' report that Jesus was alive without direct physical proof. And so 
verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside the upper room probably, and Thomas now was with them, and Jesus came, the doors having been shut. He stood in their midst, and he said, peace be with you. Once again, suddenly, miraculously, (laughs) there was the risen Savior eight days later. Somehow, the locked door didn't keep him from being there. And as before, he not only stood in their literal midst, he also spoke the same words he had previously declared. He said, Shalom Aleichem, peace be unto you. It's a common Jewish greeting, but I don't think it was ordinary and common when it fell upon the ears of one such as Thomas, who probably would have been expecting of a rebuke from the Lord. Why didn't you believe, Thomas? I spoke to you about resurrection, but Thomas didn't get a rebuke. The Lord Jesus comes with words of peace even to those of us who had been the most hard-hearted and rebellious, if we turn to him, please hear his words of peace, not condemnation. And so the Lord immediately turns his attention to Thomas, and in verse 27 we read, he said to him, reach here with your fingers, see my hands, reach here your hand and put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. No rebuke, no, no, no scolding of Thomas by the Lord. Even though Thomas insisted on a personal investigation of the evidence for the resurrection, folks, sincere Christianity has always welcomed sincere investigation of its truth claims. We're not afraid of somebody examining the veracity of Scripture or evidence for the resurrection. So what the Lord insisted Thomas do, it was for his benefit, for sure, but also, by extension, for ours as well, Thomas became a first-hand eyewitness, witness of the factual nature of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the very writer of this book we've been studying since 2016, John, wrote elsewhere in another book he wrote, 1 John. He said, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen, with our own eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. That's Jesus. And the life was manifested. We've seen and testified, and we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Our faith, folks, is based on the reliable firsthand reported accounts that these apostles had with the risen Savior. Well, what was Thomas's response now that he had evidence that Jesus, in fact, had risen from the dead? Here it is, verse 28. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Once Thomas became personally persuaded of the factual nature of the resurrection, there was no, for him, no holding back. His commitment to the resurrected Jesus was full and complete and led to what perhaps is the clearest, strongest confession of faith in all scripture. He said, my Lord and my God. Folks, under normal circumstances, a Jewish man would never say that of another Jewish man. That would be blasphemy. But that's exactly, that's precisely what Thomas said with reference to Jesus Because Thomas, don't you see, as a first-hand eyewitness became persuaded 
of the resurrection of Jesus. And he also became persuaded of its implications. It's as if Thomas was saying, Jesus is my Lord and my God. Why? Mere men do not rise up from the dead as he did. And so this conclusion, this, this, this choice, this full devotion on Thomas's part to a risen Savior, it really came at a cost to Thomas and others like him in that day and even in our day. You see, in that day, the Roman emperors designated themselves as God. In fact, Suetonius, he's a Roman historian, he reports that a Roman emperor named Domitian claimed this Latin title for himself, Dominus et Deus Noster, our Lord, our God. That's how his citizenry were required to refer to him. Now, this put the Christians in a jam because that was their confession, not with reference to the Roman emperor, but to the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus. And so they were in trouble in that day, early believers. We caught, were caught between competing ideologies. They were in opposition and, and warring against each other. Is Jesus Lord and God or is the Roman emperor? And folks, today, I guess we should be honest. When you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, my goodness, you have life, new life, forgiveness of sin and assurance of eternity. And you also have opposition and persecution especially in the prevailing atmosphere of this day, do not be surprised by it, just as those first century Christians were put upon by the prevailing culture, which was anti-Christ, so too today you and I will be. Well, here's how the Lord responds to Thomas's magnificent declaration of faith. It's in verse 29. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Thomas saw what was perhaps the most sensational sign attesting to the divinity of Jesus Christ, namely his resurrection from death. And I know the Lord is not against a faith substantiated by miraculous signs, but I think he's against a faith that depends on miraculous signs. In fact, the Lord says, you see, because you've seen, seen me, Thomas, have you believed? Blessing, he pronounced a blessing upon those who did not see, yet who have believed. You know who he's referring to? People like you and I, who 2,000 years later have not literally seen the Lord Jesus Christ, folks. And yet we believe. In the same manner in which Thomas and those first century apostles did, and the Lord pronounces upon us a kind of a blessing. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. What is it we believe? Folks, we believe in the testimony of the apostles. It's called inscripturated truth. It's the Bible. It's the inerrant, infallible word of God, which contains the testimony, the report of these apostles with regard to what they saw firsthand. We did not. They did and the Lord says, you're blessed if by faith you accept what has been written in Scripture about me. We haven't seen Jesus yet, and yet we believe in the same manner in which those who saw him firsthand believe. And yet the Lord Jesus said, you're even more blessed because you have believed without seeing me face to face yet. And in verse 30, we're coming to a conclusion. Conclusion in this book, 
uh, we read, therefore, many other signs. There was the sign of the resurrection. Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. The four gospel accounts are not an exhaustive uh, uh, report of the daily life of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're selections of events in his life. And so, too, the writer of this gospel, John, was selective in uh, writing down, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, what was meant for us today. Uh, John was not writing a mere biography of the Lord Jesus Christ. John was writing something in the form of an appeal to us, not to know about him, but to accept him as Lord and Savior and as Master and so under inspiration, John selected just a few of the miracles, the attesting signs of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got all through them in John's gospel. Here's the first. It was the changing of water to wine in John 2. Then there was the healing of the official son in John 4. There was the healing of the paralytic in John 5. There was the feeding of the 5,000 in John 6. Then was the Lord walking on water also in John 6. There was the healing of a man born blind in John 9. And there was the raising of Lazarus in John 11. John selected seven signs out of the many, I'm sure, that the Lord manifested. Why did he do so? Because these signs give evidence of the power of Jesus over space, over time, over quantity, over nature, over misfortune, and even over death. And what is John's purpose in recording all these attesting signs pointing to the deity and lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's his purpose. We don't have to guess. It's in verse 31. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's John's purpose. Same purpose you heard in these ambassadors for Christ as they shared the gospel during the week. Here is the clearly stated of this entire book. John did not write the gospel of John that we would merely be informed. He wrote it that we might by faith be transformed by accepting Jesus for who he is. And what is the result when we do? It's, it's nothing less than life. So John says, and that believing you may have life in his name. Folks, we, apart from Christ, are not just sick. We're dead. Spiritually dead. A spiritually dead man or woman can do nothing on his or her behalf to improve their way nor their lot in life. You know, a spiritually dead person cannot even access God. A spiritually dead person doesn't even have a desire. A spiritually dead person is not in need of resuscitation. A spiritually dead person is in need of resurrection. And John says, I have written these 21 chapters to you. I put on display the attesting signs pointing to the deity of Jesus Christ so that by faith he might be to you new resurrection life as well. You're dead to joy. You're dead to peace. You're dead to goodness and kindness. You're dead to self-control. You're dead to hope. You're dead to eternal life. Dead, 
dead, dead. And John says, I minced no words. I wasted no words. I selectively chose those miraculous events in the life of the Lord to persuade you. He is who he claimed to be. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. You who are dead, you can access resurrection life by accepting Jesus as personal Savior. There's not a person here who doesn't know of Jesus Christ, but I think there's some who don't know Jesus Christ personally in a way that's not nearly as effective as John's. I would like to give you an opportunity to say privately, just you, where you sit now. In fact, could I ask you to stand to your feet? We're drawing to a close. Could you stand to your feet and just close your eyes? This is just to give you a moment of privacy. I wonder if you might want to speak to this living Savior, Jesus Thomas, the ultimate empiricist, the one who would not believe without firsthand evidence, wrote about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It can be proven. There's evidence for it. I wonder in the privacy of your space and heart right now, I wonder if you might say, risen Savior, I'm dead. I'm separated. I don't feel close to you. I don't really have life. I breathe in and out. But it's just a daily struggle. It's an existence. I know you exist. I believe in God. But that's as close as I've gotten to you. I need life. I don't need to be reformed. I don't need a self-help book. And I don't need a support group, really. I need life. You who rose up from death, would you give me life? I wonder if you're willing to say to him, I sin because I am a sinner. But I believe you're the solution to it. I believe you were crucified in my place on a cross. And I believe that there's evidence you rose up from it. Therefore, risen Savior, thank you for forgiving my sin. Now I invite you please to move in. Change me from the inside out. Give me the, the indications of new life, love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and self-control. Would you do this for me, Lord Jesus, as you did for John, as you did for Thomas, as you did for these many people here at Sagemont Church and around the world. I desire new life in your name. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if anyone here has prayed that prayer tonight, we'd like to meet with you privately. You'll enjoy the time with good people in a room right behind us called the Connections Center. You could make their way there. People will be waiting for you just to chat, field your questions, have some more prayer time with you. Please take advantage of this time. Um, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And death here seals one's eternity. Therefore, the Bible says today could be the day of your salvation. Please take it seriously. Uh, the Lord Jesus came and provided absolutely everything you need for your sin problem and your lostness and your separation and your guilt and your shame. 
and all that awaits is for you to take, to take advantage of it. We'd like to help you do that uh, before you leave tonight, so please take advantage of it. And then, for those of you who are with us tonight, even as special guests and visitors, come back on Sunday, and let's worship the Lord Jesus Christ on that day as well. God bless you all. See you next time.